0: This is the Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheinman, brought to you by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. From the Gal Media Studios, here's Greg Scheinman. All right, this is another episode of the Midlife Mail Podcast. Welcome to the show, Mr. Nate Chekets. Nate is the founder of Roan. Roan Athletic Wear. I wear it. I love it. Let's talk about it. Nate, welcome to the Midlife Male Podcast today. Thanks for doing the show.
1: Thanks, Greg. It's uh, it's exciting. I'm excited to talk to you.
0: So, so first, I'm born and raised in in New York. I grew up in Great Neck, actually, Long Island. Uh, you can't well, tell at all, by the way. Exactly. No matter how many years I spent <laughs> down here in Texas, the, the the Long Island, Strong Island accent doesn't go away. <laughs> I love it though. But I got to ask you, um, who are your favorite teams?
1: I'm, I'm a New York teams guy. I mean, my dad worked in sports growing up, and so there were teams I didn't have a choice about. But, uh, but you know, I'm a New York Knicks, Rangers, Giants, Yankees fan. And what's funny in New York, if you live here, you get it. If you're up there, you get it. But not everybody does, like – Yankees Giants tend to go together, and Mets Jets tend to go together. It's not always the case, but uh, but so so that's kind of how how I grew up. Our family split in football: half are Jets fans, half are Giants fans, but everybody else is kind of pure New York all the way.
0: Gotcha. Uh, A Giants Yankees, uh, but I was an Islanders guy also.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I did that. Yeah. you do see that sometimes. The, the thing about the Islanders is they've, you know,
0: they haven't been good for a long time. <laughs> they, that is that is true. Uh, I'll, I'll hold dearly the memories of '80 80 to '84 with the four cups. You know, right. that was my, uh, those those were the glory years. My dad and I in the Nassau Coliseum will always, uh, uh-huh. always remember that run.
1: Yeah, and that building was absolutely beloved. Yeah. You know, it's kind of crazy to think about them, but.
0: Yeah, that was such a special building for that team. Well, we got to get uh, we got to get our Knicks back to to your dad's days too. Yeah. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's you know it's funny like, not it's actually really not funny. I think the Knicks. So he left in two thousand one, and the, uh, I looked this up at one point, but I think the Knicks have made the playoffs twice since he left, maybe three times, and they've only won one playoff series. So somebody's got to fact-check me on that, but and it, you know I'm not saying that that's attributable to him, but it's just that was 17 years ago. They've been so bad for so long, and it's not like they haven't been trying. They've been outspending everybody else in the NBA, and they're still bad. <laughs>
0: True, <laughs> that uh, has not been a pretty picture. That that's for sure. Well, no. we sh- we shall see down here in Houston. Uh, you know, I'm wary of this. We just signed Carmelo uh, to a one-year deal, so I'm yeah. a little I'm a little wary of this one. Um, we could we yeah, could good, do. good. Good luck with
1: him, but I mean, it's just, it's a special team. And I, I was really surprised to not see them in the finals. I think everybody really wanted to see something a different matchup in the finals, but and they
0: had you know they had they had the Warriors right there, but just couldn't get it through. No doubt, I think a healthy Chris Paul maybe paints a different picture on on that one. But um, it, it's been a good run down da- down here, and we could certainly do an hour or so on sports <laughs> <laughs> easily, um, e- easily if
1: not more. Uh, but my older brother is actually a sports talk radio host, so uh, it
0: just it comes naturally. I apologize. No, I, I love it too. We could we could absolutely do it. Um, let me ask you a little bit about. About your background, tell me a little bit about how you were raised, family, education. I know we just touched on your dad just a little bit, but give me a little background on, on you and your family and and where you went to school.
1: Yeah, so I was I was born uh, three in the third of six kids, um, so big family, uh, an amazing family. I'm really close with you know all my family members and uh, got three brothers, two sisters, um, so very much the middle child, I was, you know, I, uh, to call a spade a spade, I was born into an absolute privileged situation. I had an incredible father who was very successful in sports, became the youngest general manager in NBA history at the age of 28, um, for the Utah Jazz. And then eventually went on to run Madison square garden and the Knicks and Rangers in kind of the nineties during, during the glory years. And, um, you know, I, I, I didn't know any different, so I didn't fully appreciate how special and unique of a childhood that was. Uh, but, you know, we didn't, my parents were very intentional about not raising us to necessarily feel privileged. So, you know, we, we had hours and hours of Saturday chores. You know, my parents would go out with us and we would, we would pull weeds. I mowed our lawn and, uh, and my, I, you know, the town that I grew up in, in Connecticut, is not a town where kids do that. So, you know, my friends would call me and be like, "Oh, let's go hang out." And I'm like, "I gotta finish my Saturday chores." And they'd be like, "What are Saturday chores?" And you know, I still had to fight over a box of cereal, you know, to get the to get the Captain Crunch with a family of six kids. So, it was I, it was one of those amazing situations where I was so blessed and fortunate to have such incredible parents and to be in a situation of privilege. But I think in many ways it wasn't something that it could easily corrupt you. And I, I, I don't necessarily feel corrupted by it. Cause I was just raised with um, parents who believed in strong work ethic and, and worked works all through college because uh, my, it was clear what my parents were not going to be paying for, which was living expenses. And I think they did that somewhat intentionally. So I also, uh, not to be overly long winded, but I was very much an entrepreneur at a young age. So when I was younger, that meant running lemonade stands. And um, there was a, there was a, my grandparents lived on a golf course. So during the summer, I would go and jump into the lake <laughs> and scoop up all the golf balls and sell them back to the golfers. And I was always running from the ranger who was chasing me all over the golf course. Um, but then as I got older, when I was 15, I started mowing lawns uh, for other people. And I started a summer camp for kids uh, in my parents' backyard that ran for eight years, and used that money to help me buy my first car, and uh, actually ended up uh, saving up money to uh, go serve a mission for my church, and um, and and actually uh, had some money left over to buy an engagement ring to my beautiful bride, who I've been married to now for 14 years. So. Oh wow. Uh, so, so it was it was just a really amazing and unique childhood, and one that I appreciate more and more with every year.
0: What's what's your daily routine now? I mean, you're you're married and you have children.
1: Yeah, we have we
0: have three kids, nine, six, and three. Wow. Okay. So, and you're you're in the thick of it <laughs> right now. What's <laughs> yes, what, sir. So, what what is your daily daily routine, that kind of work-life balance a little bit for you?
1: Yeah, so um, it's something that I've, uh, I've had to get much more intentional and disciplined about as I've gotten older and just trying to balance things. And so typically, uh, uh, one thing that's really important to me is my morning time. If I don't have my time in the morning, it kind of, uh, the rest of my day really, can get off track quite easily. So I use that time. The very first thing I do is I go down. I have what I call my productivity planner, and um, I set kind of my, my core task for the day. You know, what's the most important task? Uh, what's the next most important task? And that's driven by some weekly planning that I try and do on Sunday nights, um, during the school year, I volunteer teach a class for high school students ages 14 to 18, teaching them about faith and life principles. Um, and so that class, uh, I teach three days a week starts at 6:15 15 and goes until seven. Um, so if I'm teaching, I go into the gym after If I'm not teaching, I'll go into the gym at that time. I try and exercise four times a week. Uh, sometimes if I get a a fifth cardio session on Saturday. That's, that's kind of lucky. Um, and, and then uh, my routine depends on the day of the week. So uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I try and be in the office quite early so that I can get home early on Monday night. My wife and I have a family night with our kids where we do kind of a lesson and a, um, an activity and a snack. And so it's just kind of a family time and it rotates who's in charge um, on Wednesday night uh, is uh, a night that I try and get home uh, with uh, so that my wife can kind of have a girl's night out and Friday night is date night and Tuesdays and Thursdays um, I am in the office quite late and so what I what I try to do is I try to manage expectations with my wife saying like what's an appropriate you know how many Uh, what do we think is right in terms of being home and what do we think is right for understanding this period in my life, starting a business, that I I just need to be able to plug in. And so what I felt was, you know, being away from the kids two nights a week when I'm not traveling was was acceptable and something I could get comfortable with and she could get comfortable with, um, and it means that I can kind of plug in those extra hours and be more focused. And I don't have to panic and worry on the other days because I know I have those days coming up. So um, that might be more, <laughs> more than you were looking for. But it, but I I also am just I'm just very intentional with what my day is going to be focused on because it's it's like anything else. Flow matters so much. If you are constantly changing. Uh, your focus and there's all kinds of distractions. You can't get into any kind of flow. And so, for me, Mondays are my touch base days with all my direct reports. I have eight direct reports, so I make sure that I meet with all of them. Then I have my leadership meeting, so we sit down and talk together as a leadership team. You know, then the rest of the days have a function assigned to them. So one day might be focused on more digital and direct. One day might be focused on um, on sales. One might be uh, finance and operations. And by laying that out, it allows me to get deep into a flow versus having to kind of have, you know, be an inch deep and a mile wide.
0: Let me ask about this. Is, is this your – is this a system, I guess, you developed yourself or are you following another system or somebody else's mentor, coaches, where you came up with this with this productivity plan for yourself um, you know and, and the discipline to implement it and get into that flow I'm, I'm really curious
1: yeah so it's it's definitely a hybrid of a lot of different systems so many that it's hard to even attribute one individual or um, or book I will say that I you know I really love this productivity planner, which I discovered a couple of years ago. It's it's a group called Intelligent Change uh, that make it, and they make it really easy. They take a system that I kind of already had, but then they could just lay it out, um, and it's it's very well done. The, the idea of organizing my schedule by a week and kind of having days came from a conversation that I had with the founder of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, He's also the founder of Square, just an amazing guy. I think he's on the board of Disney. Um, he and I met uh, by happenstance. We were working on a project, and he, in, in this project that we were working on, he, he brought up how he had, had, he had been the beneficiary of having these great mentors in his life and how he, he met with them. Uh, over the course of the year. And so, you know, in my boldness, I decided to go up to him afterwards and that I was really impacted by his story and wondered if he would be willing to meet with me um, kind of on a quarterly basis for 30 minutes. And he was really gracious about it. Um, And so for for almost two years, you know, until distance became such a big factor and travel that – we, we kind of stopped, but I would sit down with him and I would just ask him these questions. And I said, "How on earth do you manage your time? You're running Square, you're running Twitter, um, because at one point he was kind of the CEO of both, and um, you're on the board of places like Disney. How do you keep how do you keep up?" And he said, "I just am very intentional about my days. You know, if if I say it's a Twitter day." Then, when something comes up and I get distracted, I just go back and ask myself the question, "What day is it and then it allows me to refocus and um, but i you know i'm also just a student of i guess productivity and my wife likes to call them self help books i I like to call them kind of uh, you know personal development books but i <laughs> i i I consume them i it's, I, I don't I don't read nearly as much fiction uh, as most people. It tends to be a lot of biographies and, you know, these personal development books. And so I'm always taking notes and trying to refine my own system and find what works for me.
0: What are you reading right now? What's the latest?
1: <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I've been uh, actually pretty focused on, reading an old classic, uh, which, you know, might surprise you, but my favorite book of all time is Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Mm. And I haven't I haven't read it in probably five years, but it is so good that what I've been doing uh, you know, is reading a chapter at a time and, um, and then trying to implement each part. So, you know, The Seven Habits it was I think rated the top business book of the last century. Like it's, it's on every top uh, business book uh, or personal development list that you can possibly uh, find. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet Stephen Covey and, um, and get his perspective in person on something. And so, so uh, so it's an old classic for me, but one of the things that I've been thinking about is, for me, sometimes reading and consuming can actually be a real form of laziness. And what I mean by that is it's easy to be preoccupied by letting somebody else talk, and, you know, in the form of an audio book or uh, do your thinking for you in the form of reading. But we, as a society, spend much less time creating and self-thinking than we used to because there's just so much content out there. And so what I try to challenge myself to do is not read as many books as I possibly can and consume as many books as I possibly can, but to read a book and truly digest and understand it. And so I actually created my own uh, template for uh, doing like a book report when I finish a book so Mm -hmm. that I can really try and implement and understand it, because if I I took half of the books that I read and put one thing into practice, I would get more than just kind of consuming, saying, oh, that's interesting. I should start doing that, but not taking any action and moving on to the next (laughs) book. You know,
0: getting into this perpetual cycle of just consuming, consuming really great stuff, but not changing. It's like the paralysis by analysis situation, you know, in there. You just keep consuming, keep yeah. consuming, and then you just don't implement <laughs> you become, at, at, at all. And, and, you're, exactly right. and you're masking kind of the, you know, what you think is productivity or self-improvement with just being busy at that point or just That's consuming. The, and, and you know what? It's, uh, I, was, I was fortunate to be
1: invited to this leadership conference uh, by General Stanley. In the crystal. and General McChrystal is just an unbelievable leader and the absolute right person to run a leadership conference. And I was in the room with 40 other generally CEOs, but, um, but senior leaders of, of companies and some really big companies. I mean, Doug McMillan, the CEO of Walmart, was there. But then you had, like, Little Me startup CEO, and there were a bunch of startup CEOs in the room. Um, and there were, you know, there were a couple there was one senior person from Under Armour and that, you know, so there were, there were some really impressive people in the room. And then there were also these military strategists that were coming in and we were talking about teamwork and I kind of proposed this idea of, you know, I think sometimes reading can actually be a form of laziness. And I got such a strong reaction by one person in the room. I was, you know, I actually just emboldened my belief in it because I really had a challenge my own thought process, which is, yes, obviously sitting down and watching a network television show or a movie or a TV series could be considered more lazy uh, than reading a good book. But in the same breath, like you're just distracting yourself, ultimately, is what it comes down to. You're not challenging yourself to solve a problem that you're struggling with or taking the content that you're consuming and asking yourself, what am I going to do differently as a result of consuming this content? And that's the laziness factor. It's, you know, it's, it, it, it's not, it's not as bad as other things, but it's not, it's certainly on a scale of good, better, best. It's not at, at the best level. So we should be consuming good content, but then taking actionable change
0: as a result of the content that we consume. It, it's a great point. And um, you're, you're in the. I consider you in the fitness business in the in the fitness space. You know, with with Rona Powell, and we definitely want to get in it and and talk about that. But since you mentioned, you know, on the on the topic of you know reading as a form of, of of laziness and where we're going down this path, let me get your take on on that as it pertains to to fitness, um, because I think we've seen this explosion in fitness of, of boutique studios and everybody working out you know, all the time, maybe yeah. everybody's not the, not the right word, but a growing portion of the population, working out all the time, posting to social media, wearing all the right stuff, kind of this this perception um, of athletic, I guess, success. You know, everybody's yeah. an, an athlete out yeah. there. Um, and And I want to get your take on, you know, maybe the other 22 hours of their day, you know? I think that, that there's been such a uh, an explosion in fitness that, not that it's it's certainly not lazy, like you say, sitting back, but it's almost like I'm successful in the gym and I feel powerful and I feel wonderful and amazing and this is a great use of my time. It's like those might be the best two hours of your day, you know? where Are you, are you out of balance, you know, el- elsewhere? Just because you're crushing it, you know, at, at – Tone House, yeah. Soul Cycle, you know, or at any one of the the places that are out there, um, are you are people out of balance on that spectrum too?
1: Well, I think you know anything that is good can certainly be become uh, can become something that we obsess over, and you know, you even take you know you you take fanaticism, and apply it to almost anything, and it will become bad. So, you know, you can take faith, and fanaticism and faith can be damaging. So certainly fanaticism, when it comes to fitness, can be a dangerous thing. And it can – and, you know, I I don't know – it's hard to necessarily – use laziness with somebody who's hyper-focused on fitness all the time. But the truth is, is really, you might just be distracting yourself from the core problem of loneliness or, um, you know, of, of not feeling successful in your career. And, and so I, I do think that fanaticism when it comes to fitness can be, uh, can be something that can be, become dangerous. I think far more often when it comes to laziness and fitness is that people make the assumption that just by virtue of showing up at the gym, let's say, that they've done the work. And there are a lot of people uh, that take the time, block it out in their schedule, say I'm going to go to the gym, and they go to the gym and then they kind of randomly walk from machine to machine or like, you know, might get on a treadmill here you know, they're looking down at their phone um, and, you know, we've all done it. I've had, I've had sessions where I've gone to the gym and it hasn't been as productive. And so you really have to ask yourself, why am I doing this and what's the point? And if you're, if you're not taking enjoyment and fulfillment or you're not feeling better as a result of it, then you should probably find another way of getting physical activity because it should be something that you derive excitement and pleasure Out of and it should make the rest of your day better. It should give you some level of mental clarity and a chance to step away and detox from uh, the stresses of everyday life. And that doesn't mean that you don't work hard or that you don't want to sweat. But it also doesn't necessarily mean that you need to punish yourself either. Like it's hard because humanity loves absolutes. Like we want to say, you know, you should exercise for an hour every day, six days a week, or you know, we want to we want to understand exactly what our caloric intake should be and should we be eating these calories before we work out or after we work out. And the challenge is that for most people it's pretty gray, right? And there's there's all elements of kind of ambiguity. And the best thing you can do is this consistent pattern of self-reflection and self-analysis that you can ask yourself, is what I'm doing, is my system working? As the time I'm investing in the gym, am I seeing the results that I want to? If not, why? What can I do differently? As adults, we get into these routines and habits, which can be powerful instruments, but more often than not, are are, uh, distracting us from asking ourselves the hard questions.
0: Yep, and I think you're touching on on efficiency a lot. Also. You, know, you mentioned productivity before. I think we're talking about efficiency, and this isn't just in the gym. I see it on both sides. I see extremely successful people, to your point, going to the gym and going through the motions because it's part of their routine. And you'd say, Right? Well, you would never run your business this inefficiently. <laughs> I've seen you here. you saying I've seen you here for two, three years. Okay, and yeah. there really isn't any noticeable change, if you, if you will, you know. I don't yeah. think you would run your business this inefficiently. But on the flip side, I think you see people that go through the motions also seemingly successful to an extent where, Hey, the routine is to just show up at the office, you know, and do this or yeah. do that. And yet You put it do, do some, some for
1: a couple of hours, look busy, look productive.
0: And, and you do home. that day in and day out. And that becomes, okay, that's, that's the routine, but did I really utilize my time well? And to your point, is is my system working, or am I just going through the motions? And if you really kind of drill down in it, if I was efficient and effective, I could be in and out of this gym in forty five minutes, if you will. If I was right. efficient and effective, well, I could get my, I could do what I did the whole day, I could have done it in an hour, you know, basically in my right. office, in, in there too. Right. Um, and you know, to your point, how you utilize utilize your time. Well, there's there's a theorem that,
1: uh, and I I don't remember who it was that postulated it, but it's you know that things will take the amount of time that we allocate to them, right? So if you give yourself 90 minutes to work out, you'll find a way to fill those 90 minutes. Maybe you're taking more time between sets. Maybe you're um, you know kind of uh, taking more time to go between your machines. Maybe you're answering emails while you're in the gym. I you know. But if you give yourself 30 minutes, you can do a great workout in five minutes, like a punishing, mind-blowing, painful workout in five to ten minutes um, if you just are hyper-focused and you're, you know, we call it time under tension, but time under tension the entire time. And, uh, and it's, it's very true. There is, but, but there is a difference between efficiency and, uh, and effectiveness, and, and that's actually one of the things that has caught me in rereading the Seven Habits of Highly Successful People, as he talks about, efficiency is doing things um, well in the time allotted to them, uh, and effectiveness is doing the right things at the right time. And so, efficiency should follow, should come after effectiveness. You should focus on effectiveness first, and here's why. Like, so he gives the example of you're you know you're cutting your way through the forest and efficiency is you've got the best machete and you're cutting your way through the forest and you're getting through the trees really fast and you're making great time. Effectiveness is you're headed the right direction and you're making progress down the right path. And he argues that you can be inefficient but effective and still be more valuable than being efficient and ineffective. So an example of that is you're cutting through the forest, but you're headed the wrong direction, right? Um, you're climbing the ladder, but the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. And so there's lots of examples of this, and that's why you have to start with effectiveness. You have to make sure that you're doing the right things first and then then focus on efficiency. Are you doing those right things efficiently? And, um, but, but, yeah, as you can tell, I geek out about this
0: stuff because it's <laughs> something I think about all the time. And it is, it is and it's fascinating and great stuff. I want to turn to, to Roan, um, your, your business, the business that you, you founded. And my, my first question on Roan is, why? Why did you pick the athletic apparel uh, performance? Well, why did you pick this business, this industry? This is a crowded, well-funded space. Where did, this, where did the idea come from and, and your decision-making process to go execute on it?
1: Yeah, well, it sounds super cliché, but I really feel like I did not pick the industry. The industry kind of picked me to a degree, and I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that, um, which is that I, what I knew about myself was that I wanted, I wanted to build a company that mattered, and I remember I was commuting, I was working in the city, um, and I was struggling with the fact that I had a great job. I was working at a cool place. I was working at the NFL after I built and sold my first company. Uh, I had the opportunity to go run uh, sponsorship strategy at the NFL. And so I'm on the train every day for an hour and ten minutes, um, talk about efficiency and effectiveness, uh, and, and I just couldn't figure out why am I not loving this? Like, you know, I have so many friends who have said, you work at the coolest place. This is such a great job. You're so lucky. And yet I wasn't happy with what I was doing. And I remember I wrote down in my journal as I was sitting there kind of pondering this, I want to go build a business that matters and makes a difference in people's lives. And, um, you know, I distinctly remember afterwards writing, that doesn't mean I need to go find the cure for cancer. So what I knew was I wanted to build a great company that would have, that didn't, you know, that didn't exist and that would make a big impact on people's lives. Um, but I didn't know what that was. And I didn't know what industry that was. I just knew that it, I, I like to build things. And that's different, I think, than a lot of people who tend to associate themselves with certain verticals or industries. So, you know, you have a friend who loves retail or fashion, wants to work in fashion or somebody who loves fitness and health and wellness and wants to work in fitness and health and wellness, or wants to work in sports and loves sports um, or loves uh, technology and wants to work in tech. I never found that. I never had that. And I I always felt weird about it because I was like, I kind of, you know, I like sports. And I like technology, and I you know I just like a lot of things. But what I love is I love building things that didn't exist before,
0: mm.
1: and that just connected so deeply with me. And so I was kind of already hyper aware of, and, you know this is what I want to do. But I just know in what vertically it. And um, Christmas time rolled around, and my mom decided for uh, she always gives uh, she would always give everybody a set of pajamas. And so for Christmas this year, she had gone to Lululemon and saw that they had a men's section there. And so she got uh, the guys uh, and the girls a pair of Lululemon sweatpants, which, you know, we opened them up and I was like, Oh, thanks mom. These are great. Um, I was somewhat familiar with the brand, didn't know that they made men's clothing. Uh, But my brother-in-law who was a kind of retail investor if you will was like uh i am not wearing these and i was like wait why and he's like neat this is a women's yoga brand and i was like well okay but the you know the pants seem nice and like well, you're not going to wear them you're going to return them and he's like look at the packaging look at the logo like i just don't feel like this is a representation of me and so i was kind of in intellectually, I was trying to process this. Like, why would somebody not wear, you know, not coming from the world of fashion? Why would somebody not feel comfortable wearing this? If it fits well and it's good fabric. And so then I go into the office like two months later and Budweiser, one of the big league sponsors had sent a box of gear for the women in the office. uh, uh, And it was all Lululemon stuff. And so they're, they're picking it up and they're talking about it and they're, um, Talking about how great it is, and I make the mistake of saying, "Oh, I've got some Lululemon sweatpants." And you know the NFL culture is a bit uh, machismo in, in some cases, but my you know my best friend in the world—I actually just spoke to him yesterday. He looks over at me, he's like, "Oh, that's cool. So you you buy your underwear at Victoria's Secret?"
0: And <laughs> I was
1: like. I was like, hold on a second. No, they're actually, they're they're comfortable. Like, you know, and I kind of immediately was like, my mom got them for me. But I called my brother-in-law up and I told him about it and we were chatting and he was the one, it was, you know, I give him 100% of the credit for the idea. He's like, Nate, what if we created a men's brand that was just focused on men, but used, you know, kind of premium fabrication and better fit, because we also had some problems with, the Lulu stuff that we had seen in the market. And then we did this market mapping. So we, um, we, we took a graph, and on the y axis, we put price, and on the x axis, we put percentage of sales to men. And what we found is that there were these two big clusters in the active space. You had Nike, Under Armour, Reebok Adidas, Puma, all, you know, New Balance, everybody's kind of competing around similar price points. And uh, and similar gender breaks, and then you had Lululemon come in, who was 140% to 160% price index versus Nike, and some were and they were about 15% of their sales were to men, and there were over 200 brands in the premium women's space that were in that same space, meaning zero to 15% of their sales were to men, you know, predominantly selling to women but also at a premium price point to Nike, Under Armour, Reebok Adidas, et cetera. And there was almost no one in the men's space. The brands that you would see in the men's space tended to be sports-specific or hyper-focused on one thing. And so we felt like there was this big white space opportunity. And um, until we talked about it and, you know, kind of while we were on the train, commuting in and, and, and just uh, – you know, here's the opportunity. But what connected it for me was when I connected that statement of, "I want to go build a company that matters to people," with this concept of, you know, the the world is has changed dramatically, and and I think predominantly for good, in the last hundred years. Um, but men are in a really interesting spot right now. You know, the the. I have three sons. They're growing up in a world where they hear so much about female empowerment, um, gender equality, and the examples they hear of men in the media are almost all negative. Now you think about uh, father examples like Homer Simpson, um, but then you think about media executives like Harvey Weinstein. It's like you're, you're, you're just going to fail or you're going to be screwed up or just don't, you know, just don't mess up. The, fut- the future is female. And, um, and I am someone who considers himself to be, you know, a feminist as long as that word's not offensive, meaning I believe in gender equality. I think it's absolutely important. I think that women are s- such great, um, you know, have, bring such great thought to the table. More than half of our team is female. Uh, but, but, and I, my beautiful bride, I can't imagine life without her. She balances me in so many great ways and she is smarter than I am and she, you know, she's better in a lot of ways but I don't want to raise my sons with this idea that hey your your role is to now shrink and um, and become somewhat less and to think less of yourself mm-hmm. you need to be principled men who stand up and help support a future of gender equality and the way you can do that is by being strong and confident in yourself and yep. um, and that message, I wanted that message to come through in the branding and the clothing. And so we named our product after inspirational male figures. We put quotes by them in the hemlines and waistbands of our garment guys like Winston Churchill and Ernest Hemingway and Teddy Roosevelt and you know, John Muir, these Walt Whitman, these great men of historical significance with great words. Because I felt like that was those examples drive me to be a better father, a better husband, you know, better in the community, a better leader, more than seeing LeBron James wearing a product. And, and not taking anything away from LeBron James, he's an incredible athlete. But, mm-hmm. uh, but for me, I associated what I was trying to strive for. You know, most, most of us realize we're not going to be professional athletes by the time we're, you know, and probably too late by the time we're 13 or 14. So we start to associate and relate to those that we can. And, and for me, men of history, again, driven by this biography, obsession is something that I related to. So once I connected those two powerful ideas, that's when I was like, you know, this is absolutely the company that I want to go build.
0: And, um, and that's how it came to be. Who's around, who's around where? What type What type of guy is wearing rum?
1: Well, it's, you know, it, it is definitely, we skew older than maybe, say, a Nike or an Under Armour. You know, we're not targeting kind of an 18-year-old uh, to 22-year-old urban uh, kid. We're, you know, we kind of consider ourselves, once guys start to get a little bit more sophisticated, so call it, 26 28 upwards uh through 50 and you know our core guy we kind of think about and market to is 32 um you know is either in a serious relationship or married with a young kid um and is kind of thinking about what does it mean to be a man it's top of mind and um you know has has achieved some level of success or has some disposable income has learned the valuable of investing in good things versus just buying cheap things because he knows what lasts and um, and appreciates premium products and uh, and yeah that's that's
0: who the customer is. You know with the with the midwife mail and and some of the stuff that I'm doing what we're working towards is is getting guys to live live better lives you know be inspire them to live better lives certainly to aspire to make the second half even better, better than the first half of, of life. And we talk about work-life balance. Um, did I, I look at some of the, 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 the F's here, family, fitness, food, finance, you know, fashion. How do you balance tho- those things? What's your, what's your perspective on, you know, where, where those things fit? I know obviously you want to, grow your business, but you discussed your fatherhood and family and, and your wife. And again, is it something you can balance, I guess, on a daily basis or something, again, that you kind of look at more a, on a macro macro level?
1: Yeah, I, I think that you can get lost trying to get it perfect on a daily basis because you're just not going to. And I think you have I, that's something that has been hard for me to accept, but something that I think as i've accepted i've been able to appreciate and enjoy each aspect more i used to beat myself up so much if i wasn't you know if i wasn't meeting kind of my daily uh, goals for how much you know how much time i was going to spend on it, each aspect of my life and i think i think where i am now is looking at it more on a weekly basis and reevaluating and if i make you know if i if i don't do as well one week endeavor to improve the next week and sometimes getting kind of back into some level of balance is understanding, okay, well, look, I've just been traveling for a week. So I need to overemphasize my family here and that's okay. And, um, and it's just, again, just knowing you're not going to get it right, but having a system of self-reflection and self-evaluation, I think is the most important thing, uh, because it just, it, it just stops you from getting in those cycles where you, uh, as you talked about, where you go two to three years and you're like, oh, my gosh, this isn't working. I'm way out of balance. That shouldn't happen for more
0: than kind of a month
1: because you should be in constant reflection.
0: What's midlife life to you? I don't know. How old are you now? That's cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fine. I'm, I'm 35. So, you know, I look at things a little bit in terms of, of chapters. You know, you got your twenties, your thirties, now you're mid thirty at thirty five and, and and your forties in there. What do you want what do you want that next chapter to look like for you?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. You know, kind of going back to something that we were talking about earlier, I, ha- I have this theory. I want to see what you think. Um in, I've always wondered why does life feel like it moves faster the older that you get? And, you know, I, I, (laughs) I think about this a lot because, you know, like it, it bothers me like, okay, as you're learning to appreciate life more, it seems to just go by faster. When you're younger, you don't fully appreciate each moment. And yet you have, it feels like some years lasted much longer than they do now. And my theory is this, is uh, I'm sure you've had the experience where you get in the car and you drive to a familiar place and you get there and you don't remember any part of the drive, right? Have you had that? Yep, (laughs) absolutely. So, like, even, even like, decently long distances, like 20 20 minutes away – and, like, you get in your car and you, you don't remember, like, you're, then you start to question, like, oh, my gosh, did I stop at the stoplight? Like, did I, was I actually obeying traffic patterns? Did I nearly <laughs> run a pedestrian over? Like, I don't remember anything about the drive. And, and so things that are familiar to you kind of tend to disappear into the void somewhat. And when you're younger, you're experiencing everything for the first time. So it takes longer. You you've experience each part of it. But as you get older, you're doing more and more of the same things over and over again. And in some ways that's good. There's efficiencies that are driven from that. But in some ways that's what makes life go so much faster because a bigger percentage of your day is that experience of driving from point A to point B and you don't remember anything. And so, so, so one, how do we combat that? And, you know, is that something that we do need to combat, which I would argue that it, it is. And I think the natural answer to that is um, is we have to find ways to challenge ourselves to improve and to change. And it's hard, but um, sometimes that means trying new things, being willing to fail, which we get worse and worse at as we get older, you know, because we are afraid of what people think. And it's such a big driver for us. But, it, you know, that, that to me, like the, answering the question of what do I think about for the next chapter of my life? It's, I kind of hope that I'm in some ways doing a lot of the same things, but that I'm, a, you know, that I'm, I'm better. I'm better in, in my routine and I'm, I'm better with my patients and I'm, I'm a better leader. and more thoughtful about how I answer questions and, um, that I've developed myself more, I guess, more than anything else.
0: Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great point about just continuing to try to get a little bit better. Um I'll say at the you know, at the mark of forty five you now, so you know ten years ten years older older than you. Uh, I do think that as you get older you tend to care less what other people think. You know maybe, which I which I've found to be a, a positive. Yeah, you know, I say that That's in good. a positive yeah. manner. Not to just uh off or not or not be available and open to feedback and constructive criticism and all that. But I think you get to a bit of a point where you're more comfortable making your own decisions, um, less yeah. maybe willing to compromise a little bit um, because the time is so valuable and, and our lives right. are so filled with, with everything we've discussed, with finding time for, for family and relationships and, and your business and the financial side of things and raising your kids properly and, and the other attachments and obligations that we find ourselves into, that you really you start to lose time or, or the willingness, I think, to you know, worry about what other people think because you just can't. Really, I mean, it, yeah. it could it could free, it it'll freeze you up. It'll eat you up. Also. Well, there's that great
1: there's that great Jerry Seinfeld line where he's talking about how, you know, what, at what age do you get when you just don't look back when you back up in the car? He's like, I've lived this long, <laughs> I don't care. I'm just, you know. So I'm sure you're right. You you stop caring a degree, and I, you know, by virtue of my my grandpa and some of the things that he says, he's now in his late 80s. It, he he clearly does not think what anybody. But he
0: thinks, but so you, so you must be right about that. Where do you want the company to go? Um, from here, you started in, it was 2014, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so you're four, four years into it. Haven't hit the five, the, the five year anniversary yet. Or did I, did I miss the math? Ugh. No, no, we're about to hit our, our four year birthday in September. Okay. What's the goal for, for Roan? Where do you want to take it? Um, in building, as you said, this brand that that matters?
1: Yeah, so really, for me, what we think a lot about is content Um, and kind of continuing to build out great content that, because, you know, even if you're a serious athlete and you work out all the time, um, and we, we offer some kind of more lifestyle apparel, like we've got a great polo that can be used on resorts and uh, and golf and, you know, we've got swimwear in our commuter pant, which is quickly become a bestseller. You know, you can wear every day and wear to work. Um, but, but even if you're an active shopper, let's say, you know, maybe you're buying from us six times a year. Like if you're really active, you know, maybe you're buying eight times a year, but, but that's small moments for us to interact with a customer. So how can we, interact with a customer in a more meaningful way and have a bigger impact on their life. Well, that's content. So for us, it's about developing uh, and investing in good content so that we can give our customers um, value beyond just selling them great clothing. Because I think a brand's relationship with its customer needs to be much more of the give, 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 ask, where most brands tend to be ask, 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 give, and mm. I think I think the difference is is like you know is the way that you're interacting with the customer. If it's always like hey, come buy this, try this, here's a discount, here's why you need to shop with us, it's all it's all kind of self-centered. Then um, you know it's almost like that friend in high school who only talks to you when they need something, um, mm. versus like you know a friend who's just been there for you and gives value. And then when they need something, you're all too eager and happy to, to give. And so for us, it's not even, it's not really about a sales strategy as much as it's also like a fulfillment. We can impact a lot more people than we might be able to place gear on. And so we have goals about how many men we want to impact and what the, what the flow through of that impact would be um, by by certain years, so and that will that will come in the form of great storytelling, great content, and uh, and and certainly great products to go along with that.
0: Are we talking video type video content, um, sponsorship type content? Define a little bit of of the content because I'm fascinated by the way brands companies and entrepreneurs think about that connectivity, you know, what it's going to make me interested or, and, and loyal. Um, and I love your conversation, your piece a little bit on, on Lulu and the introduction to Lulu and the perception. Um, and I remember going through something very similar, you know, with that, you know, year, years ago, my wife had it and she loved it. Um, there became a bit more of a, of a crossfit, even association with it. There was a certain time where it, yeah. seemed it, it accepted Um and then maybe it jumped the shark after a, after a while too but i'm fascinated with the way brands are looking uh, to connect and and develop loyalty and add and add value and i see some great stuff in our space going on uh, with and i look at it now from from where i sit a lot of my emphasis is is on recovery too so there's some great stuff going on with Normatech and Hyper Ice, and then I look to the apparel, and I see what you're doing with, with Roan. Uh, but if you could elaborate a little bit on the types of content and connections and storytelling you're looking to do.
1: Yeah, well, really, it goes back to understanding that consumer first. So by knowing and understanding who our consumer is today, and there's lots of segments within our kind of broader customer overview. Um, It's what matters to them and what can we have an authentic voice on. So I'll give you an example of this. Um, You know, we talked a lot about routine and we kind of loosely talked about goal setting. Well, that's something I think a lot about. And so uh, I've personally invested time writing a piece on goal setting. And uh, that's going to be released next month. But it kind of gives an in-depth view on how I think about goal setting, what tools and templates I use, um, yes. what materials I use, and um, but that's something that I think has meaning whether you're kind of a 26-year-old young professional up and comer or mm-hmm. whether you're 60. You know, we should all be setting goals, and goals is, are important to us. You know, examples of nutrition, great workout programming. Um, so it's the things that you would expect. But, uh, but, you know, we're still, we're still kind of trying to discover and understand that. It's also, um, you know, an opportunity to be a curator and understand what's relevant in the market. We get to see a lot of great health and wellness, uh, things that are happening. And we can be a voice of suggestion for our customers. So, for example, Hyper Ice. Well, we currently sell Hyper Ice in our retail stores. Um, and I connected with Anthony, the CEO and founder there, um, barely early on. And we discovered that, you know, far before it became more mass consumer. So isn't a, is there an opportunity to talk about what's happening in the recovery space and get a perspective for better? Because not, not all of the content, we're not, you know, we're not content creators here internally, but partnering and syndicating great content with other individuals who are already in the works of creating great content and just trying mm-hmm. to make sure that it's a
0: place for that customer to go to get value. Yep. It's it's a great space to be uh, with a great product and and a great mindset and vision behind it. Uh, if you're not wearing Roan, what are you wearing? Just curious.
1: <laughs> well, you know, not much anymore, because to be honest with you, we, we, uh, we, we've expanded our line to the point where, you know, and my, my wife will make fun of me, almost everything I pack is Roan nowadays. So um, it's, it's, I don't even know what I would say to that anymore um, because I'm, I'm pretty all in on our products. And if I'm not wearing our product, I'm product testing other products um, or other categories, but, but there's certainly a lot of great brands out there.
0: so, You've done a number of interviews, profiles, found some stuff when when I was doing research uh, for for the podcast today. Is there a question you wish somebody would ask you, or is there an answer you want <laughs> to give? Is there something you want to talk about? I wish I was asked that. Mm-hmm.
1: It's a great question. Uh, you know, nothing that comes top of mind. I mean, one thing that I I do think a lot about, and I. <laughs> You know, I actually haven't really touched on it too much in interviews. You know, I have a personal health challenge and that I'm type 1 diabetic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was diagnosed at 25, so it's been 10 years now. Um, but but people are always surprised to hear that. And the only reason why I like talking about it is because, um, you know, everybody suffers from something. We don't... I. I've been so incredibly fortunate to be raised in, a, again, a great family and have all kinds of access and opportunities that many, many people don't get, but I have this health challenge. And so whatever challenge people have, whether it's maybe you weren't raised in as favorable as a situation, or you also experienced a health challenge, or, you know, you're in a bad relationship or, you know, whatever, whatever challenge it is, it's just, you know, kind of, believing that you can overcome and working to achieve it. You know, the the things that I say and share in this podcast are not the same as when I was 24, 22 and the, the world was my oyster. <laughs> my first company was a colossal failure. I was in serious credit card debt and had to find a way to, to pay my credit cards. It was, terrifying experience. We had our first child, um, you know, I've, we've had internal family health challenges. Uh, and so, you know, I just think it's, I think people like to look at any success that anyone has and find a way to justify it. And yep. I think, I think it's far harder to ask ourselves the question of, you know, how can we get beyond our obstacles or our own challenges to find success rather than using this as a comfortable crutch to make myself feel better about not accomplishing what I want to accomplish. And so I don't know if that that answers your question, but that is something that I, I do think a lot about is not letting my own obstacles or help challenges be a stumbling block, but actually be a strength.
0: It, it does answer it. Uh, and I think it's spot on and great insight and and advice on something that's really important. We should spend Spend more time being, being positive. Uh, everybody has a story, and, and you get an opportunity to, to write your own. Um, and none of them from the outside looking in on somebody else's. You, you just don't know. You, you just yeah. don't know, and you, you can't you make never, those judgments. You never know what
1: somebody's going through.
0: I you never know. Know. You don't. So on that note and a positive, I want to thank you, Nate Checkers, for being on the Midlife Mail podcast today. I really enjoyed your take. On on everything um, and appreciate what you're what you're doing. How can we find Roan for people out there listening? Um, website where the retail shops are. Where are we finding Roan?
1: Yeah, so the best place to find this is Roan.com dot com, R H O N E dot com. Um, we also sell to Equinox, Nordstrom, Barry's Boot Camp, uh, Bloomingdale's. REI, you can find us in REI, um, Jackrabbit, uh, which is a specialty-run store, so so lots of different ways to, uh, to shop the brand and try us. We've got a couple of re- retail stores in, uh, in the New York area, um, but, 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 yeah, that's the best way to, to find the brand. And then, obviously, social media, you can find us on kind of all the social media handles as well.
0: Terrific. Nate Checkett, co-founder, CEO of Roan. Thank you so much for your time, my man. I will uh, I will that wear it proudly. I, I will train in it and uh, and appreciate everything you're doing. Have a great one. Take care, Nate. Thanks, Thanks, Nate. The Midlife Mail Podcast with Greg Scheiman was presented by Inns Group Insurance. Inns Group is ensuring success. For more information, visit insgroup.net.